Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is. Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Nathan Ravenscroft has been on the podcast before. He's a feral pest management contractor in northern Queensland, Australia. And he invited Sean England onto the podcast today. So Sean, myself, and Nathan get into the positive benefits of hunting slash professional hunting, if you want to call that the contract hunting side of things, as a component of the holistic conservation efforts that are happening in the Cape York, the northern Queensland, specifically here on the Australian western coast of Cape York. We get into a discussion with Nathan and Sean, specifically about the Napranam Ranger Group, and that's an indigenous community on the Cape. There's lots of indigenous communities on the Cape, but the Napranam Ranger Group is one that Nathan is training so that in two to three years his feral contracting skills are redundant that these ranges have taken over because the reason they're all about what they do is because they love the land and they want the land returned to how it used to be and to do that you have to take out feral species you said you just woke up yeah what were you doing 
Um, Robbie, I've got this um, fascination with um, shooting feral cats, so I was... Uh... Staying up all night. Welcome back, Nathan Ravenscroft. <laughs> Welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. Thanks. Good to be here again. It's been, uh, what, two weeks, if that? Uh, probably a little bit more than that. Awesome. And uh, as I said to you, you, you look a little sharper today. Your beard is nicely trimmed. The last time I saw you, it was just like this, like ragged thing but maybe it was at night and you'd had a long day already yeah. the old lady had been giving you crap you know you never know yeah, I, I have a bit of um you know fashion sense and i uh, was last time i was going for wild bushmen uh this time i'm going for a bit more of a cultured look so yeah you have, i will say this you are certainly a lot more cultured today <laughs> i don't know if i'd go that far but <laughs> then you were the last time we were together <laughs> Well, you have a guest with you today. I do. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is um, Sean England. So I'm from the Napernum Aboriginal Shire uh, Council in, in the Cape York, Queensland. Um, and I'm the Environment Manager. And one of my key guest responsibilities is managing the Land and Sea uh, Ranger Group, Indigenous Ranger Group, um, providing them mentoring and strategic and logistical support. So what, is the, what does the ranger group do, Sean? Um, so basically they work under a, a program called the Care for Country program and they do a, you know, a wide range of things where in, which entails uh, feral animal management, um, fire management in a planned and structured way, um, biosecurity as well, so feral, feral um, pests, uh, weeds, um, and also provides a um, a blueprint on the tradi- traditional owners around the biodiversity of the, of the actual um, lands that they uh, they basically come from. Yeah. So, how many people in your ranger crew? I've got six at the moment. So four um, full time. We've got two trainees and one coordinator. Um, and each over one- what 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 amount of area? Right, you've got oh, wow. six people. Like, yeah. what are you talking about here? Uh, area hectare wise, um, it's a large area. Um, I'm just trying to think where it would be. So, I guess if we look at our primary area that we do the turtle monitoring, we've got about 46 kilometers, uh, which would be about 23, 24 miles, I think, roughly, of beach that we monitor. Um, okay. And uh, we've got a quite a um, large area of native, native tidal uh, land that we also provide support to the traditional owners for that as well. Um, also, is, is six people about normal? Is six people way less than you need? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's, they're stretched. The guys, are, yeah, they're, they're definitely stretched. Um, but, you know, we sort of access our funding from the federal government, but also we go out and that's one part of my, I guess, responsibility is applying for grants for funding as well. Um, and so we, we've got a fairly um, slim budget and we're always looking for opportunities to actually expand and, and do a lot of fee-for-service um, if, if we can. And we engage the like the Department of Environmental Science, um, some of the mining companies, also some of the local government um, departments as well to try and assist that. And one of, one of the key, I guess, Focus areas for us as we mature as a group is to look at ecotourism as well, which is 
Mm-hmm. We're talking about the turtles, and this is where sort of Nathan comes into the picture as assisting us with that predator program to um, establish a very, very strong turtle rookery and also look after a lot of our endangered species, which we have. Now, so, Nathan, your role, uh, how, do, how does your role as a feral pest management contractor, how does that contractor role engage with Sean and his ranger team? So I, the best word to use, and I, I use it a lot, uh, is fully integrated. Um, so I, I definitely am a supporting role in terms of their overall outcomes. Um, I'm not uh, not the tip of the spear. The ranger group is the tip of the spear. They do all the monitoring. Um, they understand the country. They understand what's going on. Uh, and what I bring to the party uh, is some technical expertise uh, in uh, on-ground uh, techniques. And because of the licensing situation in Australia, um, I also um, provide some access to some firearm capability uh, and so, you know, with some of the uh, the background from my military experience to enable some higher end outcomes with the equipment I'm able to um, bring to the situation. Uh, and basically, um, every, every program I run uh, with the Ranger Group, the Rangers are fully involved. So um, whether there's a mentoring effect, um, whether there's just a, you know, a degree of collaboration on the ground, um, uh, whether they're assisting during the aerial shooting, as being spotters in the aircraft, um, you know, so every part of it is done shoulder to shoulder, um, you know, virtually hand in hand when we run these programs, and that's probably the biggest strength of it um, is that it's not uh, about uh, just a contractor being paid to go do a thing with no real understanding of uh, what they're influencing. Um, there is, um, you know, direct collaboration on the ground um, to specifically understand. Um, you know, uh, the environment, the nuances, um, you know, and there's a range of issues we have to take into consideration um, with the public. Um, being that it is a Indigenous conservation area, there's a range of cultural issues we have to be aware of and special places that we can't just necessarily go. Um, and certainly integrating with the ranges, it just enhances all of that. Sean, in terms of, you know, it sounds like somebody like Nathan is almost, is, 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 dare I say critical. Mm. And when I say it, the reason I use critical as a word is that it seems to be outside funding mm. that brings expertise to to bear mm. that allows your ranger team to learn skill sets that would further the mission and let me uh, uh, further the mission of what you're trying to do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the key thing is, you know, we, we could have a very hands-off approach and so we could, you know, basically engage Nathan to come and do our feral animal management um, and basically the, the rangers would be involved in providing access, um, but we've taken it to that next level where they provide the access, Nathan mentors them, he provides that technical expertise, he does a skills development. So what we're looking at, you know, we're trying to make Nathan redundant in two or three years, so we've fully, yeah, we've got a, a very skilled, very high capable team. Um, so, and I think it's it's a really good partnership in the fact that they also teach, you know, Nathan and myself, or also around the cultural aspects and the care for country aspects from their perspective. But then when you have that integration with the expertise that Nathan does has and his experience. You know, it's a pretty powerful outcome, is, is and that's and that's what we're trying to achieve. So, 
and you know looping back to the funding which you know talked about is very streamlined and we've got to have really high impact um very versatile program um and getting the you know the biggest bang for our buck to make sure that we have you know those really really good strong outcomes um mm-hmm. yeah and also promoting nathan's a lot of stuff that he just does because he likes and he enjoys mentoring the, these ranges. So a lot of the stuff that, you know, we just pay for his ammunition, not for his time, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of this, you know, and that's, that's pretty powerful when you've got someone that's emotionally invested in that as well, just because he, you know, he wants the best outcome to what I want as well. So who's driving the, who's driving that purpose? Who's driving that outcome? For you, Sean, like mm. who's saying this is the this is the thing that we want to happen in terms of biodiversity, in terms of sea turtle conservation? Who is that? Who's that person? Who's that entity? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's it's part of the Nesta Ocean program. If I talk about the turtles, you know, the marine turtles. So we, you know, we have six, you know, six endangered species of turtles um, in Australia. Um, two of them are, uh, you know, uh, three of them, sorry, are actually on, on our Beach of Penny Father. And so there's a program there and basically they say, look, here's, here's your allocation. Um, you know, our main predators are feral pigs, um, dogs, wild dogs. Um, goannas, not, not, so, not so much. There's predatory behaviour for there, but they're native. So, you know, in, in regards to controlling them, we put barriers around the nest to control the goannas there. So we're just told, you know, basically here's your allocation of funding. You know, you engage who you think you should engage, um, and then we we drive that. So we have basically the template, but we control the strategy and the tactics that we we want to um, employ. Who's we, Sean? Who's the we? Is oh. what I'm trying to get at. Oh, sorry. Yep. Yeah. So um, this is all driven by the traditional owners from that perspective. So that's the intent: is preserving country um, and also preserving. And what you'll find is. With the Indigenous people uh, in Australia, there's a very, very strong tie to the country, the flora and the fauna. It's all very, very uh, integrated. Um, and so from their perspective is they provide the intent and then we provide the strategy and the tactics from that. Do you think that there's a perception out there? Because <clears throat> I guess if I had to be honest, I have that kind of, I have a, a slight, I have this, I have this perception that in today's modern societies, indigenous people, and again, this is just a perception, don't really have that connection to the land any longer. They want to be modern. They want to be in the cities. They want to have big jobs. But you're saying there's there's certain places like where you're at in Northern Cape York, Queensland, and we didn't tell anybody on this podcast, and I guess we just let them assume where we're talking about, but we're talking about <laughs> Queensland, Northern Queensland, Cape York yeah. in Australia, that these guys, the traditional elders, are 1,000% behind this is we need to return our country back to what it used to be. Yeah. There is, there is an excre- you know, incredibly strong... Um, drive from the traditional owners to preserve their country to the fact that, you know, that it may not seem there is, but they don't always have a voice, you know, and that's part of my role is, is to, 
is to be part of that voice for them and to engage people, like-minded people, to actually drive this this strategy and the intent from the traditional owners. Um, and if you could look at the the history behind it, you know, and um, I don't get too political, but you know, the, these guys have been losing for a long time, you know, and, and this is where stepping forward is actually get is doing this. So there's a lot of hap, lot happening around that from a federal perspective, and mm-hmm. but we're the actual guys, boots on the ground. They're actually getting the, the I guess the that um, voice, you know demonstrating what their voice is and showing how it is in action. So uh, if I could say we're, we're the, you know, we're the boots on the ground, we're making making this happen for them, you know. Nathan, in terms of successes, and maybe Sean, you can answer this after Nathan, um, and maybe Sean's a better one to answer, but I'll let you guys decide. In terms of successes for the traditional owners, the last time Nathan, you and I spoke, I talked about, let's go through what's the top invasive species. It's, you know, what's number two, what's number three. From a traditional owner's perspective, in the place that you work and these people that you engage in and the the ranges that Sean manages, what is that top priority for them? In in terms of individual species? In terms of... The, you know, they, they have this, like what Sean's just described, this ethic of the land. They want the land to return, but that's a monstrous goal that oh, happens yeah. with small chunks, mm-hmm. right? So what is the most priority bite, essentially, that they want? I think the, the biggest chunk uh, is not around what the actual work is on the ground with um, what we're doing in terms of removing invasive species. Um, that That certainly promotes the overall outcome. The outcome... Uh, in reality, is about the species that we're saving and preserving. Um, and you know, I, I listened to one of your other podcasts the other day, and you had that discussion uh, around whether you know you want to maintain or increase populations. Uh, and I think um, the degradation we've seen um, through uh, predation, through um, light pollution, through vehicles on beaches, um, you know, uh, my outcome when I look at these programs, even though I'm doing the predator control part, is holistic. So. I'm looking at all of those issues and assisting in providing recommendations for how we move forward because the linchpin to the whole thing, when you look at a program like this in a littoral or coastal um, environment for conservation, uh, is the sea turtles. You know, um, they are a barometer of our marine space. Um, and, you know, for me, it relates directly to that species. And it's, so it's not necessarily around one or two things that you're doing to enhance your outcomes there. Um, it's around all of those collaborative effects, you know, from monitoring, from access control, from predation, um, from engagement to understand um, how and where and why the species nest, what the seasonal impacts are, um, you know, and then um, enhancing that uh, with, you know, detailed technical support where we can to get the best outcome for those animals. So, and I think that's a, a cornerstone of how I look at a problem. So uh, the problem is never about um, one factor. It's always about multiple factors, and it always works better if you relate it back to the end state, um, which is you know you know getting back to that point on are we maintaining or are we increasing this population? Uh, we want to increase this population, not maintain it. Um, so mm-hmm. allowed to degrade, uh, and we want to fix that up. Yeah, that's where we're coming. No, and I love what you said. You know, it's funny. I love what you said because when I built that sea turtle infographic that you have not shown. Sean, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, it's good of me. <laughs> it's um, 
what I showed it to a couple of people. I actually showed it to two brothers that have called the Cape home for a long time. They're both they're both hunters, but they're both very um, in touch with everything else, right? Uh, the, the Ross brothers. So if they're ever listening to this, Shane and Brian Ross, uh, thank you for that. And they gave me some very good feedback. And and you just echoed exactly their feedback in that. Obviously, Blood Origins is interested in telling good consequential outcomes of the activity called hunting. And one of those consequences happens to be the idea that removing invasive species in Cape York has a impact on sea turtle nests. However, as you just alluded to, and I will change your analogy a little bit, and I'll put it into a magazine analogy that you tend to use a lot of every night, sure. is that we are one bullet in a magazine of 10 bullets. Hunting is not the panacea to save sea turtles. It is a single BB in a shotgun shell. It is a single bullet in a magazine of bullets. Like you just mentioned, the access, um, light pollution, understanding seasonal effects, you know, even though you can't do much about it, climate change and understanding those impacts on sea turtle nesting and that. So, you know, I want to be clear that we're not beating our chest here and saying that, oh, we're the saviors of sea turtles by hunting them. We're just a, a, a bullet, a single bullet in a magazine of bullets that is needed. Yeah. Yeah. One, one, of, one, of, the, one of the tools in the shed, um, but not the biggest and not the only tool, um, but still a necessary tool. Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think it's really important. Um, but I think that we can never underestimate the damage that the, these predators, and we talk about feral pigs, for example, you know, there's been cases where 70% of the actual um, turtleness, turtleness rookery has been actually wiped out for 70%, which is huge. You know, that's a massive impact. Um, and, you know, in some of the beaches over the East Coast where they've had 100% of all the wow. things. Yeah, so, and I think that's one of, one of the aspects around... The integrated program that we're adopting and you know is, is is doing things like thermal shooting you know aerial aerial culling and that but also really targeting animal behavior so if we talk around you know recently we were out at Pinnipa the beach and we had a pack of dogs so there's like four to the pack you know but they had the potential to actually go each night from beach to beach sorry from nest to nest wiping out the nests and then the the alpha, the alpha dog is actually, you know, demonstrating and, and, and it's learned behavior by the, the other the other members of the pack. And then that just becomes, you know, this ingrained behavior that you, you've got to stop. So fortunately, from our perspective, Nathan was able to get the alpha and actually left the beach. So, you know, it was a good campaign. So when we're talking around um, pigs, it's exactly the same thing. It can be just one solitary pig. As has learned behaviour, the aspect where there's fresh water very close and swamps very close to the beach, so it's very easy for them to go from that from that area onto the beach at night, and then they just do, do the damage. So you can never underestimate. Um, there is an integrated program, and you know around the monitoring for climate change, um, you know beach erosion, um, the human impacts, 
plus the predator control, but I think the predator is probably one of the key our key priorities. Yeah, it's interesting that Sean, you know, echoed what you said earlier, Nathan, that it's just it's not a mob of pigs that come in, it's just like that one. Yeah. Yep. It um it's interesting and that's why I think um the you know, as with anything in the, the hunting space, you know, when you're um, involved with animals and you have an outcome you're trying to achieve, you have to be adaptive um, and you have to really understand uh, what you're looking at, be able to read ground sign, understand behaviour. Uh, and, you know, when it gets to a point um, with this type of control, you don't necessarily have to kill kill every pig in the environment, but you do have to selectively target and destroy um, those animals that are doing the damage. And if you're not successful in that endeavour, you will lose 100% of your nest. So... Um, yeah, it gets, gets to be a um, you know, quite a tactical game uh, of understanding what these movements are. And you know, I think you know, we, we made the point that hunting isn't the panacea, but it is a key point that this isn't just driving around a vehicle with a spotlight having a crack. You know, this is hunting uh, in its truest form, just in a um, different context. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I, I remember you telling me that you chased one pig for four nights mm. you know and it's that is hunting in its truest form going after that one animal that one specific animal um in terms of broadening the net a little bit sean we obviously see turtles pigs dogs mm. um obviously one of the specialities of nathan's is feral cats as he started this podcast with saying he's you know is out uh euthanizing uh, in an ethical way uh, so feral cats and by the way you're killing some monsters yeah it's it's almost ridiculous didn't you you said that eight kilo cats 17 18 19 pound cats yeah and it's interesting so the um, program i've been running for the last uh, seven nights straight has actually been on uh napanum country so it's a joint venture but um yeah, it's been uh, in their space, and certainly that's one of the the, the most interesting things about the um, Napanum country um, is that it has a really broad range of um, you know really interesting Australian marsupials that are on the um, threatened and endangered species lists. And again, much like the sea turtles, that's where the feral cat program is not about feral cats. Um, it's about um, conserving uh, isolated populations of northern quolls. Uh, and looking after black-footed tree rats, which are becoming extremely rare, um, not just up here, but um, everywhere across northern Australia. And the, the key threat to those animals and bio, biodiversity in general uh, in those sensitive areas is the feral cat. You know, they, uh, they really are a significant problem. So, Sean, those two animals that Nathan mentioned, those are the two key small mammal species that you're focusing in on i don't want to obviously there's others but yeah. are those your are those your metrics are those, do you have bio indicators that yeah. like we you know sea turtles obviously is a simple yeah. bio indicator nests yeah. what are your bio indicators for inland and tied to your feral cat control? yeah sure we do the monitoring for the you know the northern poles as well and and the, and that's where we, the rangers do them so we're completely independent so we do our own monitoring which is really important um and i think that you know, we can un- never understate the importance of that northern pole population. So um, from what I understand, it is the, you know, the, the largest population in the Cape and if not in Queensland. So, um, we, you know, Amazing. One, one of the things about the northern quolls is with the introduction, I don't know if you know the history of Queensland, with the introduction of the cane toad, uh, which was brought over from Hawaii as far as I understand to actually, because um, a lot of sugar cane grow in Queensland. 
So they brought the plant cane toads to actually, you know, reduce the number of um, cane beetles. But obviously the cane beetles sit very high up in the cane. So it was a complete disaster. But one of the aspects of that is the northern quolls actually were feeding off the small cane toads and are actually getting poisoned by them. So it was a massive impact. Um, and one thing, you know, circling back to the that population at, at Billy's, one of the most important aspects we've got to focus on predator control is the feral cat because I believe the predators are adapting quicker than the actual, you know, native animals. So, you know, as you mentioned that was a seven kilo, eight kilo cat, that's not your everyday domestic cat. That cat is, you know what I mean? It's just in a proper predator. Oh, yeah. And we're not talking where, you know, there was a place down in South Australia where they actually, you know, shot a cat, feral cat. They um, basically emptied its contents in the stomach and there was 32 um, small marsupials, like, like, you know, unique to that area in one night. So this is, you know, unbelievable. These, these things are just, you know, highly tuned, very effective predators. Nathan, are you doing just to, to that point? I saw a post of yours saying that you are you are doing stomach content analyses on these feral cats. Yeah, I, I regularly do. So um, part of one of the other programs I run, I do that for the organisation. So I gut sample in the field and take the samples back to the ecologists to go through and record data. Um, I tend to do it myself also as a part of professional control because it um, assists me in understanding what the key areas are to target and certainly up on the Cape um, most of the feral cat populations are centred around where the high, pop- well, high density of rodents are um, so understanding gut content you know obviously it then just links back directly back to that sort of chain of evidence of you know you can pick up where the rodent populations are through thermal as well uh, and then you concentrate on those burnt areas that have got a lot of rodents on them you know there's going to be cats um, prioritising those mm-hmm. so yeah it's um, yeah, a couple of elements to why we do that yeah so you tend to focus on burned burned areas, recently burned areas? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of really good data um, around feral cats in northern Australia and how they um, operate on the landscape. So one of the, the key features is that up here um, there's seasonal burning, which they call cool season burning, that occurs you know, generally anywhere depending on the season from late June um, through to the end of August is normally ideal. Uh, and when they do that burning, um, the cats will come out of their territorial areas and transit um, around 30 to 40 kilometres to get to those um, burnt scar or fire scars. Uh, and it, there was, it's fairly recent, some of the... the 30 to 40 kilometres? Yeah. I don't even know how... Oh, the smokes. Yeah. So they'll transit in these areas and you get these concentrations of normally territorial animals and, you know, in their... So they're in the context of the area you now, they're essentially an apex predator and they'll all congregate. So you might get five or six large male cats that'll um, be in one particular burnt area. Um, and it's not actually about the, um, the burn or, or picking up animals that have been affected by the fire. Um, it's about cat habits and how they hunt up on this landscape, which is um, cats hunt from open, open country into cover. And the fire provides that fringe where they've got the open country where they can utilise all their sensors and then hunt the smaller rodents which are hanging on the fringe of cover. So mm-hmm. um, that's where the fire fronts become very important. And you can drive around all night looking at all the country and you might pick up one or two, but if you focus on those high percentage areas full of rodents, um, then you'll heavily impact the population because that's where most of them are going to be. 
Uh, Sean, to, to your point about uh, you having the largest population of northern quolls, have you done any correlation analyses between predator control efforts and population change over time? No, not yet. And I think that's what that's you know that's the next stage we've got to get to, Robbie. So that you know we're we're doing a lot of uh, I guess monitoring and data collection. But it's, it's really the next phase is to look at that correlation. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, when you have that correlation, send us the data because we will tell the world about your story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No. I've already written down that uh, it seems like there's two documentaries to be told in the Northern Cape. Yeah. One is sea turtles and feral pigs, and one is northern quolls and feral cats. Yeah. Definitely. And that, there's a the feral cat issue up here. There's a, there's a number of stakeholders that are heavily invested in it. Um, you know, it's the, the work being done by Nappenham Shire Council is fantastic. You know, there's some solid monitoring that's done by the range group on their country. Uh, and then some of the uh, the flanking stakeholders up here, there's some big organisations, you know, Australian Wildlife Conservancy, for example. Um, I do a lot of work for them and a lot of reporting around their feral cat management. And they've got some really good data in the background as well. So, you know, the, yeah, there's a lot of meaningful work being done in the space because it's, it's, it really is. It's not a, um, an issue that's probably understood that well worldwide. But when you're from an ecology point of view, when you look at the impact of these, um, you know, outrageously effective predators on our landscape, uh, and the fact that our marsupials just have no defence mechanism against them, um, you know, the, the impact is outrageously high. Like it, where it's extinction level for a bunch of our species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sean, uh, talking to that like next step. You know, where where are you guys going? Like, where do you want to go? Maintain status quo, grow your ranger program, or you know, yeah. if you had your druthers, what would what would it look like? For me, is um, definitely ranging. Um, my, my key priority at the moment is raise, raising the profile of the land and sea ranges in Nappenham and, and getting our own brand, and, and that'll be through that skills development we talked around, um, but also having that fully integrated plan, very um, flexible and also be able to adapt very, very quickly because I feel that, you know, we're in a stage where we're very re- reactive from a predator control perspective where we need to be, you know, a lot more adaptive High flexibility and also, um, yeah, being being fully integrated is probably um, a key thing for us. So, and and you know we haven't, you know we only touched around I guess the land country, but there's also the sea country aspect. So we're up, you know, we're getting our capability from the sea perspective as well, and that, and that's another another opens up another you know uh, avenue for us to be really effective in our programs. Um, but I think. Um, I don't think there's, it's really, there's not a lot of, I guess, um, it's not well known what we're doing up here. I guess this is the, this is the start, if that makes sense. Well, I would, um, yeah. as, I, as, as Nathan knows what I'm about to say, Blood Origins is built, yeah. was built, is built, is going to continue to do showcasing good conservation, wildlife conservation stories that's tied with hunting as a wildlife management tool. Because it's changing perceptions around what that means and what it does for landscapes and what it does for people. Even though in this circumstance, it is a bullet in multiple bullets that you use on the landscape. It is a bullet. And um, I'll promise you this, we will... Uh, we will help, and I'm. I already wrote it down. Raising the brand of your ranges. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love, you know, 
like like we did in Mozambique, that uh, Sam, a, a, a ranger out in the middle of nowhere, Mozambique, got broadcast across to 200,000 people. And uh, he had this huge smile on his face when someone said, hey, you know that you were on like this whole big thing that people know who you are now, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what we want to do. We want to do that for you. And we want to do that for, for the good thing and the good work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so count us in. And um, I know that there's lots of good storytelling to happen. And you know, Australia just needs to get its ass in here so that we can fly back to Australia. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Right. and we can be with you guys. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, one thing about the Rangers I find, these guys are very humble. You know, um, we recently did a campaign, went to, to the local schools here, and, you know, we went to the Rangers and we talked around what we're doing and that. And the kids just swarmed these guys, you know, and they look they look at these guys as heroes. They really do look at and they really look up to them. So if you if you think you've got these kids and they all, you know, you're saying, oh, how do I become a Ranger? How do, you know, it's a constant, you know, thing. That, That's awesome. It's, it's so good. And these guys, they don't even have to say anything, just walking in there. These kids and a lot of them are their family members as well, so they have a very extended family, you know. Um, so you know, for me, when I see these guys out there, it's, it's a really proud moment for me, and you know, but like I said, they're very humble, they're like the traditional owners, they just go about you know their life. Um, and it might not be a conventional life that what we used to, but I tell you what, it, it is it is pretty, um, it's pretty exciting to be involved in, to tell you that, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing you're doing good good work, and um, we're so happy to uh, see what we can do. Yeah. Such a pleasure getting to know you, Sean, yeah. Nathan. Thank you for the invite. And this time around, it's it's roles reversed. I get to drink whiskey, you get to drink coffee. Before you were drinking red wine, and I was drinking coffee. Yeah, so something different. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, well, there's one one point I'd like to um, close on, which is one that Sean made before, and I think. But um, it's a key element, a key element of this, which is one of one of my key insights when talking about working with the Napanem Ranger Group uh, and you know working on their country. I absolutely am focused on the concept of me becoming redundant uh, in the next three years because that's what mission success looks like. Um, it's not about um, you know you know you know putting money in the bank or you know being. Um, you know, just constantly the, the the panacea to the issues that are there. It's about developing capability and having long-term sustainable effects. Um, you know, so it's, um, it, this certainly, you know, when you, when you get involved in these programs, you know, it, it always starts as being a good business activity and then it always ends up being something that you genuinely invested in. Um, you know, and that's, that's where it gets to and that's why this stuff becomes important and why we've got to shine a light on it. Great points, mate. Great points, great points to end that on. So, cheers, fellas. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Robbie. Robbie. Cheers, Robbie. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In wild country, 
Rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.